As Katie mentioned, this is the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany. Ash Wednesday begins the season of Lent. The season of Epiphany in the church calendar begins, of course, on the day of Epiphany, January 6th, the 12th day of Christmas. And during this season, we look at various ways in which Christ's divinity uh, is revealed to his disciples and to the world in the visit of the Magi, then the baptism of the Lord, the wedding at Cana, and today, the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany, the transfiguration of our Lord, which we will look at now from the Gospel according to St. Luke. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to Jesus. Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and were speaking of Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Just as Moses and Elijah were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. On the next day, when they'd come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them. And a man from the crowd shouted, Rabbi, I beg you to look after my son. He is my only child. And a spirit will seize him, and all at once he shrieks. The spirit convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will never leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't do it. While Jesus was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the greatness of God. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When Jesus climbed a mountain to meet his God, he was following a sacred tradition which is as old as the hills, pardon the pun. Before him, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David, and Solomon climbed a mountain to be close to God. Mohammed too. Maybe this is because there's something sacred about mountains. Maybe it's because when we're at the top of a mountain, we feel as if we're closer to heaven. And we know this is not literally true because from a cosmic perspective, there's no such direction as up. And yet, at least on the top of a mountain, we are closer to the distant stars and who knows, maybe that's where God lives. The air is thinner at the top of a mountain, literally and figuratively. The curtain separating heaven from earth and divinity from humanity is not thick velvet, but diaphanous gauze, just a translucent scrim. Or maybe a mountain is holy because the surfaces there are pitched and steep and vertical. A mountain reminds us that life is not flat as an Illinois prairie or shallow as Lake Erie, but vertical as Half Dome, unapproachable as Everest, as deep as the fathomless trenches of the Stygian Pacific. 
A mountain reminds us that the human spirit can soar to stellar zeniths or plunge into the inky abyss. And so one day Jesus invites his three best friends to join him at the mountaintop to pray. Maybe it was Mount Hermon, about 100 miles northeast of Nazareth on the Lebanon-Syria border. In Arabic, Mount Hermon is Jabal al-Sheikh, the mountain of the Sheikh. And it gets this impressive name because it rises to an impressive elevation of 9,200 feet, usually snow-capped, the only ski resort in Israel. And when Jesus and his best friends are up there at the top of that mountain, something strange and inexplicable happens. We call this event the transfiguration of the Lord, but actually that word transfiguration comes from the Gospel of Mark, not from the Gospel of Luke. As you probably know, transfiguration is a Latinized form of the Greek word metamorphosis, which means radical transformation. But Luke doesn't tell us about a radical transformation. His version is much more modest. He just says that Jesus' face changed and his clothes dazzled. Then a further mystery. Moses and Elijah, the two towering heroes of Hebrew history. Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah the prophets, the law and the prophets, together, the whole story of God with God's people, the whole covenant of God with God's people, appear there and chat with Jesus. And Luke tells us that Peter is so overwhelmed by this event that he doesn't know what to say. So he just blurts out a real estate proposal. Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's stay here. Let's build some tents. Yeah, that's what we'll do. We'll build a retreat center with dorm rooms and a meditation chapel. We'll charge admission. Let's trap this euphoria. Let's tabernacle this glory. Let's ensnare this wonder in resin and cocoon it for the enjoyment of future generations. But Luke tells us that's now not how it works. Just then, an opaque, suffocating fog envelops the mountain and we hear a voice from above saying, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. And then when the fog skitters away, Moses and Elijah have absconded, leaving Jesus and his best friends alone, as usual. And when they descend from the summit of the numinous to the valley of need below, there's an epileptic boy waiting for them. His convulsions are so violent he looks possessed. And so the first thing Jesus does after his paranormal epiphany is to attend to the forlorn without any other hope. And that descent from the apex of the ineffable to the slough of despond beneath might become the pattern of our lives as well. We will climb the holy mountain. We will gather every seventh day in this, our local sacred geography, our sanctuary, and we will hear this voice echoing off the flinty ridge. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. And we will. We do. We listen to him. In the preached word, in the cherished hymns, in the solace of prayer. But we don't stay here. Thereby, galvanized and empowered, we go down the holy mountain. We leave our local sacred geography to sign up to sponsor an Afghan refugee family to console the bereaved as a Stephen minister, 
to prepare dinner for the dying or for a new mother. From the apex of the ineffable to the slough of the spawn beneath. That's the pattern of our life. Did you notice that Paul Farmer died on Monday? Do you know about Paul Farmer? He's only 62 years old. Acute cardiac event. Paul Farmer, who founded Partners in Health in 1987, this organization which cares for the poorest of the poor in Haiti and in Rwanda. Paul Farmer's sisters said he always had this huge brain from birth, but he was also a little bit of a geek. He read War and Peace when he was 11 years old. And then at school, he started a snakes and lizards club. He would invite his classmates to his house after school for Rice Krispie treats and to discuss lizards. But no one showed up. So his mother made his sister stand in as his lizard club. And he used to love to announce all the specimens by their Latin names. And the girls hated this, of course. They said, we should just beat him up and go play outside but they never did. He earned a bachelor's degree from Duke University and a medical degree from Harvard, and after he graduated as a doctor, he returned to Haiti to start a one-room medical clinic, which over the years amplified to a network of 16 medical centers and a staff of 7,000 in Haiti alone, something equivalent to it in Rwanda. Tracy Kidder's book about Paul Farmer is called Mountains Beyond Mountains. It's a Haitian proverb. Haiti, of course, is a tiny island with large, endless mountains. And when a Haitian says the journey of life is mountains beyond mountains, what he means is that just when you've summited one peak, you find that there's another peak after it, and one after that. Life is never finished. There's always more to accomplish. There's always another peak to summit. Mountains beyond mountains. Paul Farmer once led Tracy Kidder on a three-hour hike up the side of a steep mountain just to visit one tuberculosis patient who had failed to show up at Paul's clinic for his appointment. Three hours up, two hours back, Paul Farmer shouts back over his shoulder at Tracy Kidder, huffing and puffing behind. There are some people who think this might not be worth a five-hour hike, but you can never invest too much to make sure that this stuff works. Mountains beyond mountains. Always mountains beyond mountains, but Paul Farmer reminded us always. He made us remember the desperate, the despondent, the destitute, and the disconsolate. He said, I have fought my whole life the long defeat. I fought my whole life the long defeat, and I brought other people along with me to fight the long defeat. We're always losing, but we won't stop because of that. I want to be on the winning team, but not at the expense of those who get left behind. We won't forget the losers. We will always fight the long defeat. At the summit of the sacred, we catch a fugitive glimpse of the lambent divinity within and beyond this carpenter from Nazareth. And we hear this stentorian voice saying, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. 
and we do. And then we follow him down the mountain or out of our holy, sacred geography, and we just get busy healing the sick, welcoming the refugee, befriending the lonely, consoling the bereaved, and welcoming all of them into the unflinching, unfailing, redoubtable mercies of our God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.